Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Hill City Church in Springfield, Missouri. We are a community of believers who exist to glorify God by making disciples who bring gospel restoration to our city and world. For more information about Hill City or to support our ministry, you can find us online at hillcitysgf.org. I'm convinced that the fundamental question that we have to ask ourselves is this, is God good? Right, you're here this morning, you're at church on a Sunday, probably does God exist is not the question you're wrestling with this morning. At some level you believe that there's something there, there's God up there. Here's the question I think all of us have to wrestle with. Is that God good? If he's good, I can trust him. If he's not good, I can't trust him. Is God good? Is he trustworthy? This week I got to go to one of my favorite cities in the country. That's Nashville, Tennessee. Listened to some good music, ate some good food. Uh, showed up and, uh, and, and got in the Uber to, to go. And it was a university student from uh, Vanderbilt driving us around. 23-year-old, 22-year-old guy. And my wife is sitting next to me and we're talking to the Uber driver. And she says, so where should we eat in this town? And I kind of like <clears throat> nudge Emily like that. Because here's a rule of mine. I never ever ask college students where to eat, <laughs> ever. They're not trustworthy <laughs> because they can't afford to eat anywhere that's good. And so they eat really junky food, right? So I show up in Nashville, Tennessee. I don't go to a college and say, hey, where should I eat in this town? Yeah, there's a Chinese place right there. It's in the middle of, yeah, no, no. I go to someone that looks like they know good food and I ask him, why? <laughs> They're not trustworthy. Is God good? Can you trust him? We're going to look at one of the epic stories of Jesus and, and as he starts his ministry today, and as he's getting ready to start his ministry. And this is the fundamental question that I think even Jesus is going to be faced with. Is God good? Is he trustworthy? Let me catch you up. In Luke chapter 3, you've been walking through the book of Luke. Uh, we past couple weeks, we've looked at John the Baptist. Well, John the Baptist uh, said some things against King Herod, and Herod had him arrested. So John the Baptist is now in prison. Jesus is getting ready to start his ministry. In, in chapter 3, verse 22, Jesus gets baptized. And we can read about that in other narratives. Luke doesn't spend a whole lot of time on that. He just kind of mentions uh, when Jesus is baptized, that the Holy Spirit comes on him and this announcement from heaven, and this is important, I want you to remember this. This announcement from heaven comes and says, this is my son, you are my son, my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. That's the announcement about Jesus from God when he gets baptized. This is my son, and with this son, I am well pleased. Remember that. Luke keeps going through the gospel, and you'll look in, in the middle of chapter 3, there's a whole lot of names. And so what Luke does is he traces the genealogy of Jesus all the way back to Adam, to the very end times. There's some names in there you've never heard of. There's names in there that we don't have that the Bible doesn't get narratives about. But he traces that lineage of Jesus all the way back to Adam. And what he's wanting to show here, and you look at verse 38, it says, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. So as we're trying to make sense of what Luke is doing here with this gospel, he's getting ready to set up a comparison. And that comparison starts with this guy named Adam. And here's what he says about Adam, that Adam was the first sinless son of God. 
Here's what I mean by that. Adam is created, right? Out of the dust. God takes dust. He breathes into it life. He creates Adam. Adam is sinless, son of God. Now, he does not remain sinless, right? We, we know that story. Adam is created as this first sinless son of God. And then Luke traces this gene- genealogy and he says about Jesus that he is now the son of God. And so Jesus is created this sinless son of God. And here's the mystery, and I can't make sense of this. Some of you are smarter than me, you might be able to. Here's what the Bible teaches us about Jesus, the sinless son of God, is he is 100% man, man in the flesh. Grows from a boy, becomes a man, has to shave, has to go to the restroom, stinks, like all, like is man. But at the same time, he's 100% God. Yeah, make sense of that. So we have this person, this, this sinless son of God that's actually God himself that takes on flesh, becomes a man. And Luke, the point of here, what he's doing is he's setting up a comparison between Adam, the first sinless son of God, and Jesus, the new sinless son of God. We'll come back to that at the end. Let's see. It helps us to understand big picture. What is he doing here? Because now he's going to jump into a story. In Luke chapter four. And this story is not just some random story. The, oh, this, you know what? This is a good, I remember this. This is a good story. Let me throw this in. He has a very specific point and a very important point. Let's jump into it. Luke chapter four. Now, the story you've read, it's the temptation of Jesus. We're actually gonna spend two weeks on it. Today, we're gonna look from the narrative of Jesus and just totally try to understand what he's going through. Next week, we're gonna come back and say, now for us, how do we live in light of this? That's next week. So it's kind of a two-part deal. Verse 1 of Luke chapter 4. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, after his baptism, returned from the Jordan, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. Now, if you like Greek, that Greek word hungry means really hungry. That's what I mean. 40 days, no food. So here's the context. We see in verse one that Jesus is led by the Spirit. So before the ministry of Jesus begins, before his public ministry begins, he is led by the Spirit of God into the wilderness to go through some temptation, some testing, some suffering, some fear. And in my experience, the ministry that God has for you is probably on the other side of some temptation, some suffering, and some fear. That before someone is used by God, there's this time of testing and growing and striving and working and in doing that, God is creating us into something that now he can use. My first few years of ministry on one hand were awesome, and the other hand were awful. I about got ran out of town in a small little town. Came to a church in Springfield, arrived a month later, find out the church's in a lawsuit with another organization. The pastor is bipolar at best. It was awful. And I remember thinking to myself, God, why? 
I've just, I've just left teaching. I've just, I've just kind of said, I'm going to go into full-time ministry. I show up at this church and it's an absolute wreck. God, why? I, I thought you loved me. I thought you cared. I thought you called me into a ministry. He did. It just required that first. And that's what we see of Jesus. He's led by the spirit into the wilderness. Notice he doesn't wander into the wilderness. Oh, and Satan's, oh, well, now that you're here, no, who led him there? God did. The spirit did. God ordains it. He doesn't just allow it. And so we have to remember about Jesus as he's led in here. This is Jesus in his humanity. He is fully human. So in his humanity, he will be led into the wilderness and he will fight evil. And he'll do it in his humanity because God can't be tempted. James teaches us that. So here's what Jesus did. He lays aside his divinity, his God status to enter into the wilderness as this human Philippians 2 says he emptied himself. So Jesus, the human, goes into the wilderness, and in the wilderness, he is going to face temptation. Look who he's going to be tempted by. This isn't some little low-level demon. This is the man himself, Satan. Right now, let me clear up a few things about Satan. Satan is not like God. Satan is one person, and he can only be one place. Right? God is omnipresent. He can be all kinds of places. You know what's going on. Satan is one fallen angel. He's one person. He can only be in one place at a time. Like some of us say, well, Satan's tempting me. Satan's getting after me. No, he's probably not. You're not that big of a deal. Satan has bigger fish to fry than you. <laughs> Someone thought that was really funny. <laughs> I appreciate that because I need, I, you know, I, sometimes my jokes just don't laugh. Don't land, so. Right? But Jesus is going to do battle with Satan himself. He's going to be tempted by the devil. This is the main guy. So I was at a conference in Nashville. That's why I went to Nashville. And it was really interesting. One of the, one of the speakers there was a guy whose specialty is exorcisms. Yeah, freaky stuff. I've had one interaction with something that might be a little bit demonic, and I don't want, ever want to be there again. The, the guy said, that he, he, quote, he said, quote, I spend half my life rolling around on the floor with Satan. Some of you are like, well, that sounds like my marriage, but um, <laughs> thank you, thank you. Uh, is that, come on, come on. But this, so there's demons, we don't have time to get into this. There's demons everywhere, right? There's all these, these host of demons. A third of the angels, we believe, are, are demons. There's evil everywhere. Demons tempt, that's their role. This is Satan himself, the head honcho. And he is going to come into contact with Jesus and the battle is set. This is good versus evil. And you guys know me, I always go to movie scenes and I have some Clint Eastwood movie in, my, in mind where he's out there in the, you know, in the Old West and there's a gun battle and it's like they're staring each other down. This is the setting. Battle is going to take place. And the stakes are life and death. And it's life and death for us. See, here's the deal. Jesus fully man. He comes on the scene. If Jesus falls, we are doomed. Those are the stakes. And Satan knows it. Satan knows why Jesus has come. He knows why he's here. And for Satan, this is live and die. And so he's going to bring everything at him. Verse 3. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command 
the stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it's written, man shall not live by bread alone. So Jesus has gone to the desert. He hasn't eaten anything for 40 days. At the end of 40 days, here comes Satan to tempt, to, to make war. And look at the question that he asked Jesus. And I want to ask you, does it remind you of something that we just read earlier? Look at the question. If you are the son of God. Remember when Jesus got baptized? What did God announce? You are the son of God. In you, I am well pleased. See what Satan does? Attacks identity. Always. Satan is the accuser. Satan's job is to raise doubts of who I am, of who my identity is, of, of who God is. Is God good? Satan's job is to attack identity. <laughs> if you're the son of God. Or maybe remind you of Genesis 3. Did God actually say, God's not good. You can't trust him. You're not even his son. Satan's job is to raise the doubts, doubts to attack identity. Satan wants Jesus to doubt his status with God and God's love for him. That's his goal right here. If you are the son of God. We talk about it all the time. That's why identity is so important. The issue is not your anger, your lust, your struggle with pornography, your struggling merit. It's not your issue. The issue is so much deeper than that. It's your identity. What do you believe about God? Is he good? And in light of that, what do you believe about yourself? <laughs> if you're a Christian. <laughs> That's Satan's job. Raise doubt. Accuse bring questions, and that's what he's doing to Jesus if you're the son of God. And look what he says to him. If you're the son of God, command this stone to become bread. Now, this is interesting, right? Because there's not, like, it's not a sin to eat bread. And people read this like, what's, what's wrong? Like, he's hungry. It's the end of 40 days. Like, it looks like it's the end of his fast. And Satan's like, well, just, just make this stone become bread. What's the temptation? Like, what's wrong with eating a little bread when you're hungry? Here is what Satan, and we're going to find this with all three, what Satan is saying to Jesus. Why would God want you to suffer? You're hungry right now, Jesus. If you were the son of God and if you were loved by God, God would not allow you to go hungry right now. So come on, let's fix this right now. Let's turn our back on God who... Want, who Satan's like, listen, Jesus, I wouldn't make you go 40 days without eating. On my side, there's all kinds of fun. Come on. See, the temptation here is to worship the created things above the creator, the gifts above the giver. The idea is to take a good thing, bread, food, and make it an ultimate thing. You know that most of your battle is not with really bad, evil things. It's taking a good gift of God and making it ultimate. That's the battle. Like children are a great gift from God, but you try to put your identity in them and live vicariously through them, not only will you be empty, you'll crush them. Right? Food is a great gift of God, 
but it makes a really bad God. Wine is a great gift of God, but it makes a really bad Savior. Sex is a good gift of God, but if you look to that to complete you, it will never do it. The temptation for most of us is not, I want to murder someone. No, I want to make, take a good gift and look to it to make ultimate, make it ultimate. And that's the temptation for Jesus. Take bread, elevate his temporary need above what God has for him. Doubt that God is good. And so Jesus just responds and, I, and I, wish we had the, I wish we had the movie here. Is he talking to Satan or is he talking to himself? I don't know. But here's what he says. Man, man didn't, it's not bread. I'm gonna live on bread alone. Later in John, Jesus will say, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Like here's what Jesus knew. He had a greater purpose. And that purpose was greater than a piece of bread. The bread's good. Enjoy a piece of bread. But there's a bigger purpose, and that's what Jesus is communicating here. Well, Satan tries again. Verse 5. And the devil took him up and showed him all of the kingdoms of the world in a moment time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it's been delivered, it's been given to me, and I'll give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, all of it will be yours. Now what's the temptation here? So he shows them this worldly kingdom that the Bible says Satan's kind of in charge of right now. And he is offering to Jesus this kingdom but he's offering it free from any suffering or pain he will endure. Like, it's interesting. He's offering what Jesus already has. Did you catch that? Like, Jesus already has, like, it's all his. He already has the kingdom. Here's how Satan's offering that. He's offering what he already has, but in a different way. Let's get around suffering. Let's get around pain. Let's forget getting betrayed. Let's forget going hungry. Let's forget not having a place to sleep. Let's forget that whole cross thing, and let's just do this the easy way. God's not good. If he was good, he would not send you to suffer right now to get your kingdom. Come on. Come on, Jesus. I got it. Let's do this the easy way. So Satan wants to bring this question into Jesus' heart that God is not good, that he can't be trusted, and that he should not go through the suffering that he is about to go through. But he already has what's offered. Jesus already has it. We'll look more how weak tie into all this. Today we're really going to focus on Jesus, but here's what I'll say. Uh, what evil wants for us is to desire what we already have but desired it in a way that's twisted. Like the reason that you spend half your day scrolling on Instagram, living vicariously through everyone else, maybe your desperate need for approval. But guess what's already offered to you in Christ? Approval. Husband's the reason that you lose your cool on your kids may come from your desperate need for control. 
Guess who has control? Christ. See, these things that are the core of, of our brokenness are things we already have in Jesus. Your lust for more, for a bigger house, a bigger car, more stuff, more money, more, may come from your deep insecurity. And the belief of, if I just had this, then that would fix me. Well, security is something you already have in Christ. Right? And so here's what Satan wants Jesus to do. He wants him to desire something that's good, this significance, this glory, this kingdom, but he wants him to desire it in a way that's apart from God's plan, the easy way, his own way. Verse eight, and Jesus answered him, it's written, you shall worship the Lord your God and you shall only serve him. Now, let's notice, we'll camp out here for a second. Notice what Jesus does. You'll see it each time that he's tempted. What's he do? He quotes scripture, doesn't he? Right? He, he quotes scripture. So the heart, of, and he, I want us to hear this, the heart of fighting temptation is knowing and believing that God is good and that what he says is true. And that's what Jesus is doing. Every time he quotes the scripture, he is going back to truth. Man doesn't live on bread alone. You shall only worship the Lord. He's going back to truth so he can know and believe that God is good and God is true. Because our identity, identity comes from what we believe. And so he goes to truth, the, the truth of scripture, to reinforce what he believes. Now, warning here. Some people take this too far, and the idea is, well, if I just have a little scripture verse and can memorize that, that'll fix all my problems, like this little incantation of scripture. It doesn't work like that. And we're not a church that's, so you come up to your problems, well, just memorize this first, it'll all go away. No, it doesn't. It's not pixie dust. But what happens is I learn God's word, as I start to meditate on that, as I get that in my heart, I start to believe it. And as I start to believe it, I start to believe that God is good. I start to live that out. It's a process. So listen to me. If you're, if you're addicted, if you're struggling with alcohol, I'm not going to come up and say, all right, here's the scripture. Take it, read it. That'll fix you. No, we've got to do some battle. We've got to fight. But we're going to fight with this weapon of truth, and we're going to preach it to ourselves and preach it to ourselves and meditate on think about it, because as I do, my beliefs change and my actions change. So we have two temptations, right? The first one is, come on, let's avoid this suffering. Let's just get some bread right now. Let's fix this right now. The second one is, hey, here's this kingdom. Let's have it the easy way. Let's look at the third, verse nine. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, notice again, boom, tax identity. If you are the son of God, Throw yourself down from here. Like, just jump off. For it is written, and I want you to see what happens here. What's, what's Satan going to do? He's going to quote scripture. For it is written, quote, Old Testament, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And, quote, on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Interesting. 
So Satan brings to the temple, hey, come on, let's jump off. Let's make a show. Like, you want glory, Jesus? You want, you want people to follow you? Here's a way to do it. Let's jump off, and then you hover right in midair. Because the Bible says God will not let you fall. He will not let you hit a stone. This is what the Bible says. Interesting. So here's the temptation for Jesus to interpret God's will by his current situation or circumstance. You're on top of a building. Jump off. God will protect you. And all the people will be in wonder to interpret God's will by situation or circumstance. And notice, Satan will use scripture, quote, out of context to get that to happen. Here's what he's saying to Jesus. Jesus, you can be bigger and better than this little measly plan that God has for you. Like there's a whole nother life. Like forget this humble, lowly servant who's gonna go to Nazareth in a, few, in a, in a little bit and he's gonna be rejected and forget all that. Let's just like show up big. Let's show up on the scene and just make people wonder. Let's get a crowd from day one. Come on, let's, let's do it, let's jump. One of the temptations, we'll look at it next week, that we'll see is to interpret God's will for our lives on our circumstances and really demand that God's will kind of fit within my desires and my dreams. Like it's real, it's really fascinating sometimes how God's will for our lives seems to always be the easiest way out. That's next week. So all three of these temptations, as we look at what Jesus endures, he comes into this desert for this time of tempting. And here's what I believe you can kind of lump all these three temptations into one little package. And here's what it is. Avoid suffering. God is not good. If God was good, he would not let you suffer, Jesus. God can't be trusted. That's the temptation. And each time that temptation is thrown out to him, Jesus comes back with scripture to fight that temptation. Satan tries another one. It's this back and forth, back and forth battle. And it is war. And the stakes are high. We're going to look at this next week. I believe as Americans, where we are right now, this number one temptation for us is to avoid suffering at all costs. And we can start to believe, if God really loved me, he would not let anything uncomfortable happen to me. Well, look at that. So you're in a valley, you're in a hard point in life. Evil wants you to believe that God can't be trusted. You gotta figure this out your own way, man. Fall flat on your face, made a mess of your life. Evil wants you to believe, come on, man, we don't need to suffer through all this. Let's just drink it off. Let's just go to the internet. Let's numb it. 
Come on, forget that. Forget all that hard work of fighting. Your marriage is bad. Come on. Come on, man. She, I mean, it's your wife's fault. You just need to get a new one. Like, why, why would God want you to suffer through this difficult marriage? Just leave that one and just go get a new one. The work of evil is to get us to doubt God's goodness that he cares for us and avoids suffering at all costs. And that's what Jesus faced here. And he faces it before he will ever begin his public ministry. Because if he doesn't come to grips with this now, he will be tempted all through his life and ministry to avoid these things. So we find Jesus in the garden right before he goes to the cross. God, take this cup from me. God, I don't want to do this but not my will, but your will. See, Jesus, the Bible says, is made perfect through suffering. Verse 13, and the devil had ended every temptation. He departed from him until an opportune time. Wonder when that time will be. So here's what Luke is trying to do at the beginning of Luke in these first few chapters, he's trying to introduce us to this person named Jesus. If you remember why he wrote the letter, he wrote the letter to this friend of his named Theopolis and he wrote that letter so that Theopolis could trust the account of Jesus, could have confidence in who this Jesus was. And so what is Luke trying to do? Why does he go through these temptations and kind of take the time to break all of these down? Here's what I think he's doing. He's wanting to show the difference between the first man, son of God, Adam, and this new son of God, Jesus. See, the first man, Adam, did not resist the adversary. All it took for the first man was, did God actually say? And he fell, bringing sin and death into humanity. But this new man will complete what no one else has ever done, obedience. That's what he'll complete. Complete trust and faith in God, he will bring obedience. Now it's interesting, all the parallels through the Bible in this. Where did Jesus do this fighting with temptation? In the desert. How many days was he there? 40. Let's go back to the book of Exodus. God's chosen people to bring this new humanity. Where did they fall in the desert? Right after they got led through the Red Sea. How many years did they wander? 40. See what God's doing? He's communicating there is a new and better person, a new and better man, and he has come to do what no one else, what Adam couldn't do, what Israel couldn't do, and guess what? what you can't do. This new person is coming to do that. So Luke is communicating that Jesus is the new Adam sent to live out the commands obediently, unlike the first Adam. So everywhere that Adam and Israel and us fell into sin, Jesus walked in obedience. So Adam lived in the, in the perfection of Eden, the abundance of Eden. Jesus endured the emptiness of the desert. Adam feasted in the garden. Jesus was weakened in the desert. 
Adam gave in, bringing misery. Jesus resisted, bringing victory. The consequences of Adam's sins brought destruction to the human race. The obedience of Jesus brought life to those who would believe. The point of Luke is we have a new and better Adam that has come to save humanity, that has come to perfectly do God's will and die on our behalf so that we can have life. We're going to sing a song right after this, and the quote in that song is going to say, the new and better Adam come to save the hell-bound man. Here's what Luke wants us to know. Jesus is the hero, not you. Like your hope is not in how good you can do this thing called life. That's not your hope. Your hope is in how Jesus did this thing called life. That's your hope. And that's what Luke wants us to see. The writer of Hebrews which some believe it's either Luke or Paul, not really sure who wrote the book of Hebrews. The main message of the book of Hebrews is Jesus is better. That's the message. Jesus is the hero. Jesus is better. Now some of our men are studying the book of Hebrews right now. Hebrews chapter two, verse 17. Here's what he says about this Jesus that endured temptation. Therefore, he, Jesus, had to be made like his brothers in every respect, like us, in every way, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. Like if Jesus just showed up as this God, didn't have to suffer, didn't have to go through, he wouldn't understand, he wouldn't relate to us. He had to be just like us in his humanity and resist sin. Why? To make a propitiation for the sins of the people, to take our sin upon himself. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So next week, we're going to look at our temptation, how we face this. And here's the message of Hebrews chapter 2 is because Jesus endured, because Jesus resisted, now our identity being in him, we have some hope against resisting this temptation. We'll look at that very specifically next week. But notice, Hebrews says, because he has suffered when tempted, and here's the reality we have to understand, Jesus suffered more than we ever have with temptation. I'm not talking just the cross, I'm talking temptation. Why? He never gave in. Right? Like, we've suffered through temptation. How many of you gave in this week? Liars. Raise your, come on, right? We suffered to a certain point, so like, okay, okay, oh, now I gotta have this. Jesus suffered all the way and never gave in. And the message of Hebrews, because of that, he is able to sympathize. In verse chapter four, he'll say this, verse 14. Since then, we have this great high priest, Jesus, who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Let us continue to believe. Why? We do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect, every way that we have has been tempted as we are yet without sin. So now what do we do? Because we have this great God that came down and took on flesh and was tempted every way, verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Because Jesus was tempted, because he endured, let us now with confidence believe that God is good. 
if God was faithful through Jesus, if Jesus was faithful, now I can have confidence. So Jesus lived the life that we cannot live. And he's going to die the death that we deserve to die. That's the gospel. See, the gospel is not come here and try harder. You see Luke's message? Who's the hero? I ain't you. It's not me. His message, the point, Jesus is the hero and Jesus was our substitute. See, Luke wants your hope of salvation. Whoever he's writing to, this friend of his, he wants his hope of salvation to be in this Jesus that resisted temptation. And his message is, you are not that person. You can't fix yourself. Like the, the craziness of our humanity. Okay, I'm addicted. I just need to try harder. How's that been working for you? The insanity that thinking, if I just look inside me, I can find the answers to fix myself. Guess what you're trying to be? The hero. Or the answer is in someone, if my spouse would just, now who are you making the hero? Your spouse. They can't do it. They're not God. And Luke wants you to see that Jesus came, he suffered, he was tempted, he did not sin, he died on your behalf, and now you are going to be found in him, and that is your identity. Jesus is better. He's the better Adam. He's the better Savior. He's better than your desire for stuff. He's better than your desire for status. He's better than your desire for approval and significance. He's better. He's enough. You can trust him. He's good. Now next week, we'll look at how do we live in light of this? But it all comes down to this fundamental question, what do I believe about God? What do I believe about the Father? What do I believe about Jesus? And in light of that, what do I believe about myself? There's the battle. So as we receive communion this morning, I love what the writer of Hebrews says, may we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And don't walk out of here fixing your eyes on your, okay, I gotta, gotta memorize a verse and fix that problem. No, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. And then next week, out of that, we'll do battle. Let's pray.